0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. We have done close focuses on a number of countries during the COVID pandemic. South Africa, Australia, the US all over the place, but we haven't focused very much on Israel. It's a particularly interesting example, because they've had a very strong government that's been able to uh, use very strong measures against the virus. And they're actually on their fourth COVID vaccination, the fourth booster. uh, And cases still seem to be rising. I believe there were 37,000 plus cases last night. And that's in a country of 9 million. So something isn't going Exactly according to plan. Luckily, here to discuss it with us is one of the foremost authorities in Israel on vaccinations. He is in charge of the immunology department at the bar Ilan University. His name is Professor Cyril Cohen. And he's also on the advisory committee for clinical trials for COVID vaccines for the Israeli government. So he has a, a direct line into the powers that be over in Israel. Hi, Professor.
1: Hello, Freddie. Thank you for having me.
2: So it's been such an interesting story, Israel, because we in Europe and in much of the West, were really looking to Israel as the kind of example to follow. They were the first with very draconian uh, travel restrictions. They had the fastest initial vaccine rollout. And the idea was with a muscular government, such as Israel has, this virus could be controlled. Now we're a few jabs later, that doesn't seem to be happening. But what's your sense of what you've learned?
1: Yeah. So basically, I think that every step that was taken in Israel was a very important step. You know, when we look at the effect of, you know, those steps and also the way that other countries have followed us. So what what I would like to say is that today we are in a different phase of the pandemic. We are in a different stage of what we call, you know, COVID-19. In Israel, where we were the first actually to immunize massively uh, in, uh, exactly a year ago, in January and in February, which enabled us to actually end lockdowns since March. Okay, uh, even, even before that, from February, we started to reopen our economy, our society. And then we were confronted, we were the first to notice that there was a decrease in the, the waning of the immunity uh, following the second shot, and that's when we had to decide, and it wasn't, believe me, it wasn't an easy decision to decide that we need a third shot or a booster shot, and we did that, and it helped us minimizing the consequences of what we call here the fourth wave. And then Omicron happened, and Israel, uh, I would say, quite intelligently closed this bo- its border again, which enabled us to get prepared during a month where we had almost no cases of Omicron here. But again, we cannot delay that indefinitely. And now we have Omicron. A few things that we have learned. First, those vaccines are excellent in preventing, I would say, severe disease, severe cases, but unfortunately, their effectiveness against contamination is reduced and this is a lesson
2: did that surprise you you're the kind of top guy in vaccines in, in Israel did you expect the vaccines to be better at preventing transmission than they were
1: yes I would I, I will tell you why uh, I'm, I'm one of a few guys that are really into that matter here in Israel you know we we thought that what what was expected, especially based on what we have seen or what we saw in, in, in March, in April. I mean, I have to, to tell you, you know, the feeling we had in Israel last spring, we were after a deadly month of January with more than 4,000 people that died. We were after our third lockdown. And suddenly we were opening and opening and opening and cases were going down. Hospitals were, you know, just getting empty. People were, I'm not joking, my colleagues, doctors were dancing in the corridors out of joy. It's over. So we did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission. And the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that, you know, vaccines can prevent transmission, perhaps shortly after administered, but not, over a long period of time. And therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover, at the end of the day, that no, the vaccines are not protecting us they are not causing what we call sterilizing
2: immunity. The narrative or policies hasn't yet caught up with the reality because Israel was also famous for being one of the first countries to introduce a green pass or a vaccine pass, yes. which presumably the principle of it is that you can feel safe in a room full of vaccinated people. If it prevents transmission in a world where it doesn't prevent transmission very much or at all, vaccine passports are not really very relevant. Has Israel caught up with that fact?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It's not only myself saying that in, you know, in the media you know, you know, for the past few months, but you know, other people, especially with the Omicron, where we don't see virtually any difference. You know, There's a very narrow gap between people vaccinated and non-vaccinated. Both can get infected with the virus more or less at the same pace. But I want to tell you, there is another side to the, what we call the green pass. If you take two rooms, one that is full of people that are vaccinated and one, of pe- one full of people that are not vaccinated, and you introduce a virus, the impact at the end of the day, on the healthcare system of the propagation of a virus in a vaccinated population or vaccinated room is less because the vaccine can prevent severe disease, than
2: But that's a, that's the a very, that's just a very different point, isn't it? That's, that's about, yes, you know, the, the, the impacts on
1: consequences.
2: Yeah. But yes. are you now of the view that vaccine passports should be got rid of phased out because they're no longer relevant in the omicron era.
1: I, I yeah I tend to think so and that's also something else you know this is you know we, we have to look at the future we need better vaccines to prevent transmission. I mean I'm all for a nasal vaccine for example that would be able to better mimic the immunity that we get from the disease and uh, we know even even if the omicron actually is causing a lot of uh, you know, breakthrough, uh, not breakthrough infection, but reinfections, you know, people that were vaccinated and, you know, secondary infections, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, we have to take into account that still the virus is better at immunizing than the vaccine, but
2: Sorry, that, that means so you're referring to this natural immunity phenomenon, in other words, so, to
1: some extent, but that doesn't mean that I am encouraging people to go and get the disease in order to no. prevent from getting the disease. Mm.
2: So, does Israel still have vaccine passports?
1: What do you mean?
2: Does Israel still have a green pass policy?
1: We we do, we do have that, but it's not it's it's not too much enforced, you know. Let's face it, especially now with the Omicron. Uh, we even, for example, we um, a few days ago, actually two days ago, we cancelled the green pass for molds. Okay, so there's no no longer. Uh, I would say. Uh, a a significance to to that step of having a Green Pass in malls.
2: You expect it to be cancelled entirely soon?
1: I believe so. I believe so. You know, the other, you you have also to understand that the Green Pass is not necessarily and, and that's not a secret. It's not necessarily to prevent transmission. It's also to encourage people to get vaccinated. Okay, and I don't want to touch upon the political aspects of the Green Pass. But these are, this is a reality. So right now, you know, you also get, into, you, you get to a point where whoever wanted to get vaccinated got vaccinated. I don't think that there is a point right now in maintaining a green pass, especially in the Omicron era.
2: Because there are countries in Europe, like Italy, for example, that in the Omicron era are doubling down on these vaccine passports. It, it's now becoming illegal not to be vaccinated. Children as young as 12 whose parents have decided for them that they're not to be vaccinated are not allowed into shops not allowed into cinemas it's getting quite extreme in some of these countries Do, what would your message be to them at this point in the pandemic
1: you know it's a free world we are all experimenting to some extent you know what's the best strategy to to uh, go with or to to follow in these times, you know, you can also talk about uh, China that you know has a, a zero COVID policy. I don't know where you know it will lead them, but I, I just want to. I think that the reality is that the vaccines we have right now cannot, you know, indefinitely prevent transmission. Perhaps shortly, but not indefinitely. So I think you know there is. If your goal is to prevent transmission, a green pass is not the best way to do it.
2: You've said. And I'm quoting here that the Omicron wave will only end after masses are infected. What does that mean?
1: That means that you know a lot of our knowledge on you know epidemiological knowledge, immunological knowledge, has shown that the more the population is exposed to uh, a pathogen the more it becomes resistant because your immune system learn about but there is a price to pay there's, the a, price there's
2: a term for that isn't there that people used to use herd immunity ah there it is
1: the problem is that herd immunity is a consequence for me it's not an objective it's not a goal okay that, that's there is a thin nuance here if i may say so uh, that people have to grasp it's not again i'm not saying to people go and get infected i don't think that this is a model that we need to adopt okay you have seen what is what the meaning of that model is in countries like for example brazil where you know there were almost no restrictions and there was a a, a president that was encouraging actually and saying you know it's nothing just go get you know get, get the virus etc and we know how how it it, it it ends so no that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying that uh, especially that if a lot of people are getting, uh, I would say, infected at the same time with the virus that can cause some uh, uh, severe cases, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there are a lot of severe cases. and truth to be told, everyone knows when our hospitals are overwhelmed, the care the health care that people are getting is less, and people are more people are dying. That's the mm, truth. yeah, okay. So we don't want that to happen, you know, at the same time. but yes, you know, with every exposure, or with a redundant exposure to a a wave and another one another wave. I think that immunity is building up. I don't want to call that herd immunity, because people think that after that, it's over. No, we can always have a new variant that will be perhaps more problematic. But at the level of the population, I'm talking about a a general protection. Let
2: let me give an example closer to our home, which is the UK government. So we opened up back in July of last year, and that was very controversial. Lots of people thought that was irresponsible, and we should have been keeping in lockdowns for a lot longer. It's possible now that during those summer months, we built up higher levels of immunity, at least to delta, than some of our European neighbours, and therefore had a better experience in the winter. Do, Do you think that is feasible? And if so, should governments include natural immunity or herd immunity? As part of an overall strategy.
1: I understand what you're saying, but the question is always: What what is the price that you paid? You know, what is the price that was paid uh, in in the UK? Okay, we there are a lot of unknowns also about long COVID, about PIMS, uh, you know, this multi uh, multi uh, inflammatory syndrome in in children. Uh, consequences of that. Uh, you know, I, I'm just talking about people that died, how many people died a day or are dying a day in, in, uh, in Britain and in Great Britain? Sorry,
2: we've had up to 100 200. Uh, uh, in recent weeks, um, at the very height of the pandemic, we got over 1000 on on one day. Um, okay. but, you know, overall mortality numbers in the UK are better than in a number of European countries. And obviously, there are a lot of other countries that did a lot better than the UK.
1: Yeah, but at the end of the day, I think that you need to sum up, you know, those numbers and compare them to other countries in order to better understand what is the impact of such policies. There is there will always be a price to pay. What we're all trying to do is to minimise that price.
2: So, as a scientist and as a um, academic of immunology, has it felt weird, the past two years that your discipline became so political? that concepts like herd immunity that previously were just part of the normal academic syllabus, almost became forbidden topics, because governments and activists were so keen to push one particular route ahead of others. What's your experience been? Has, has it been strange?
1: Let me sum up that in, in, in one sentence. If you mix politics and immunology or health sciences, At the end of the day, you get politics, and then that's how I felt, you know, often, Uh, I I can clearly say, you know, myself, having been in touch with, you know, several officials in Israel, that people were receptive. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, government members. I can't tell you if, you know, they would have adopted everything we thought was justified or not.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: But on the other hand, um, I think that in most of the cases, uh, our recommendations were evaluated and not saying, you know, they were uh, uh, um, actually acted upon or something like that. Um, it's 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 a very interesting, you know, from a social standpoint, social perspective, it is a very interesting, uh, I would say, era, because you discover that professionals, experts, you know, you have a whole bunch of them with different opinions that we knew that, but the impact of the declarations can have dire consequences on the policy of a defined country and sometimes you know to follow this or that is uh, might be problematic that's why you need to have as many as you know possible voices around you and then take the right decision
2: i mean this is really the big question for me do you feel like there was an element of hubris in the idea that governments can control all of this uh, where here we are two years later, and you are now the guy, you know, top person for vaccines, and you're saying, well, Omicron will only be over when masses and masses of people get it. So we've all been on a bit of a journey, and perhaps w- where we've ended up is a little bit more humble about our ability to micromanage a transmissible virus like this.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear what you say. It's true that. You know, a lot of people say, I can understand that and I can even agree with that. It's very difficult or it's more, almost impossible to stop a respiratory virus uh, to to infect people. We know that. But I think, I, I don't know if it's hubris, I think that there was a real sentiment, honest sentiment that we could do better because we also had in mind other coronaviruses that we don't talk about anymore today, like SARS, like MERS, that are respiratory viruses, extremely dangerous, that have a, a, a lethality of around 10 to 30%. And there we were able, we as humanity, to stop the spread of those viruses. So I think that's the beginning, as the first steps, we hoped that we would be able to do that. After that, we realized that it's more difficult, but we wanted to limit the spread. And then, you know, you have three possible ways to deal with such a pandemic. One is you do nothing, and we saw the results. Perhaps you will get herd immunity fast, perhaps, but there is a high price. Second, zero COVID policy. I'm not talking about China, but take, for example, Australia and New Zealand that had a very tough, I would say very tough restrictions. And at the end of the day, we know where they are. And you have the rest of the world that had, you know, some lockdowns and some kind of normal life and then lockdown and then some restrictions to what? To get vaccines, to get treatments, to delay, to flatten the curve. So, I, you know, uh, I think it's very easy to talk today. And it's not over yet. That's also a message. It's not over yet. It's very easy to talk today when we have vaccines and treatments or some of the treatments and a variant that is less problematic than the previous variants but again but no, I guess
2: I, one, yeah. one way to ask the question is SARS-CoV-13 or you know COVID-23 yes. when the next one hits how, what would you do differently will, will you would you if you're advising the government in Israel would you be more cautious about suddenly going to lockdowns and transport yes. things you would so you, so so explain that
1: Def- to, to me yeah 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 definitely no i think that you know one of the uh, and and this is what also israel is showing right now okay that uh, we almost have no measures put aside you know the a green pass we have no lockdown everything's open bar restaurants you know we have no you know people will behave accordingly we have people that are vulnerable that say, okay, I won't go out. I prefer not to get out. So I think that we have learned, you know, th- th- there is one mistake I think that we made, and that I'm extremely sorry for that, you know, we have made a few mistakes, but again, is education. For me, education was the thing we shouldn't have touched. Never, never.
2: No school uh, closures, no sending exactly, universities home.
1: Exactly, exactly exactly this this will have some repercussions in the future and that's a thing you know i'm i'm extremely sorry about we know for example you know we closed schools we know that other countries didn't close schools and i'm jealous of that i'm jealous of that again true uh, you know uh, especially in israel education has a, such a high you know s- you know it's it's a, such a high priority i'm sorry that we we did what we had to do some of us you know went and talk to politicians. I remember myself at the, at the uh, Israeli Parliament, you know, arguing that you know lower uh, grades are not you know a danger. You know, if they stay open, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So again, I uh, I think that there are some lessons we have learned, but dependent on SARS-CoV-13 virus, it's it's so dynamic that you, know, you cannot say, okay, I, didn't, you know, I shouldn't have done a lockdown with SARS-CoV-2. Let's not do a lockdown again with SARS-CoV-13 because possibly if you have a very contagious virus that is also extremely symptomatic, the best thing to do is a short lockdown to kill it off and then to go on with your life.
2: So you're not promising no more lockdowns for future viruses?
1: I'm not promising anything. And I'm also not making predictions. Only you know, in Hebrew, we have a saying that says that prophecy was given to the fool.
2: Let me ask you to make one prophecy more. uh, And you can reject it if you want, which is, you said that you think the Omicron could be the end of the pandemic.
1: I don't remember saying that in that way, that the Omicron is the end. I'm just, I, I think I said that the Omicron can accelerate our transition to a state where COVID-19 is endemic. I'm not saying that, I, I don't think, and that's perhaps a prediction, and I hope I'm wrong, but that's a reality. I don't think that COVID-19 is going to disappear from our lives in the years to come. Okay, I think it's going to be like flu. I think it's going to be with bad waves and better waves with a better immunity at the level of the population with better vaccines with better treatment so i think that in that sense and i'm extremely cautious there is a possibility that omicron will usher will accelerate that transition because of its nature because of the fact that so far when people were I would say, uh, uh, infected with a variant, they tend to be even with the next variant, more resistant, not fully resistant, as we're saying here. But there are also unknowns, like, for example, we know that the, uh, you know, the COVID-19 can infect animals. So there might be a new virus, a variant that will develop in animals or a recombinant virus. So in the you- short time, I think it will accelerate. Yes.
2: Do you think we could have got to this point earlier? This as you put it endemic state had we in a sense tried less hard and for example allowed younger people at very low risk profile to to get it you know there is that great barrington uh, declaration idea and we interviewed those authors do you think those ideas in retrospect have have merit
1: I can understand them. But I think it's extremely easy to talk two years afterwards when you have vaccines, and we have a better understanding of what is happening. And you have p- potentially treatments and the variant that is less problematic and less, you know, causing severe disease. So I mean, I'm not a proponent of, let's open everything for the young, let's pro-. that's what we're doing right now more or less, but and let's protect
2: So you are uh, a proponent uh, of it now, but you wouldn't have been earlier?
1: I wouldn't say I'm a proponent I'm extremely uh, you know I have you know some reservations and criticism about almost everything. I'm a scientist, of course, but what I'm saying is that in the current situation to some extent it makes sense because we, this is what we are doing. we just you know you know we just we are saying right now in the news as people that are you know in the news to the old people listen the omicron is not uh, amenable to control. So for the vulnerable people, even if they are vaccinated, you know, stay safe, stay, you know, at home if you can, et cetera, et cetera. But to say at the beginning, when we didn't know enough about the virus, when we didn't have vaccines to young people get infected, no, I cannot do that. I have people suffering the consequences right now, you know, working in my lab of a bad COVID infection a year after that with cognitive problem, et cetera, et cetera. So there are also consequences to that.
2: The world which you're describing, where vaccines are effective at reducing serious illness and death, but ineffective at stopping transmission. Does that mean then that everyone should make it a personal choice, whether they want to take the vaccine to protect themselves or not? In which case, you know, should we stop this sort of culture war against so-called anti-vaxxers, people who don't want, for whatever reason, to take the vaccine, it feels like it's become an obsession. And they are now the sort of scapegoats, they're the, the evil people yes. of society. Should we just, now that Omicron is here, leave them alone?
1: I think that vaccination is a personal choice. And I always say that. I believe it is so. But to that, that choice has some consequences. And here, there is a problem in the society. If you are over 50, 60, and you're saying, I don't wanna get vaccinated, will you be, and I'm gonna ask a provocative question, will you be willing to renounce on the possibility of getting uh, taken care of in hospitals? Because if you get into a severe disease, you're 50, 60, you and we don't have enough beds to treat people. You will force, and th- that's a given. You will force doctors to decide, you know, between this 80 year old person that got vaccinated but is most likely going to die, and this person that has more chances to live, even if it's not vaccinated. There, there are some consequences. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not saying. To, I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm just saying that. It's a very complex question. But
2: then, smoking, for example, or that's
1: correct. Obesity
2: or motorcycling or any of these things that increase your risk. You know, it's a, it's a dangerous road to go down, isn't it? To to start withdrawing or making medical treatment conditional on people's life choices.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I I fully agree. I told you, it's a complex question. I'm not saying that this is a solution I'm advising for or or whatever, but I'm just saying that it's not easy to say what, what I'm trying to say is that it's only my choice. It's not true. It's not only your choice. Okay, to some extent, it's true that it's more your choice when you are younger. And I respect again, I'm saying I'm for the choice. I think that in the, you, know, uh, in, you need to have the, the possibility to decide what you want to do with your body. It's, 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 it's a given for me. I'm just saying that when you say it's only my choice, to my uh, humble opinion, it's not, it's not true.
2: Final question for you. It's a bit of a left field one, but you're an expert in cancer, as well as immunology. There's a lot of talk about cancer vaccines. Do you see yes. that being a big part of the forthcoming years?
1: And, um, you know, my field is immunotherapy, immunotherapy of cancer. I'm also the president of the Israeli Association for Cancer Research. We have knowledge, I would say in the past 10 years, 15 years, that the immune system is central, not only against pathogen, but also against cancer. Will we get to a point where we are, we have cancer vaccines? I don't think so right now, because a disease like COVID is not cancer. Cancer is not COVID, these are different things. But I do believe that with a better understanding of the immune system and ways to tweak the immune system, perhaps it's not really vaccine in the purest you know, sense of, of the term, but with a better understanding and immunotherapy is doing that, we will have better treatments for cancer, yes.
2: Professor Cyril Cohen, thanks for talking to us.
1: Thank you very much for the and thank you for having me.
2: Let's just take stock of what we've just heard. This is Professor Cyril Cohen, the top man in Israel, or certainly one of them, for vaccines, an advisor to the Israeli government about clinical trials for vaccines, someone who has been, throughout the process of COVID-19, advising on these various jabs. He says green passes, vaccine passes, are no longer relevant in the era of Omicron. So let's take heed those countries that are now doubling down on them. He says that big mistakes were made, that schools and universities should never have been shut. And he apologised for that. And he said that Omicron, current variant of COVID is likely, he believes to be part of the end of this pandemic. So it's just a sign of how far we've come. Those of you who've been watching us for the past couple of years will remember how brought these kind of discussions were with some of the early experts back in 2020. It's a very different atmosphere now and people seem finally to be converging, uh, that living with COVID is the only way to go. Thank you to him and thank you to you for joining. This was Unheard.